So if you want to turn in your Bibles, if you brought them this morning, or pull out your phones, however you read God's Word, we're going to be in John chapter 17 this morning, starting a new series called the Established Series, and today we're going to be talking about knowing God. And if you haven't been here for the last few weeks, we have spent some time talking about some kind of scary subjects, some of the things that are going to be coming up in the future that we as the people of God may have to contend with, uh, what the Bible talks about, the end times prophecies, and that can get us a little bit freaked out, right? And we, want, we don't want to talk about things like persecution. We don't want to talk about things like evil rising even more. We want to have um, really good messages and, and about what the future holds and all that. And while the preparation for these tough times is important, I wanted to kind of switch gears and circle back now and tell you that no matter what comes to us, no matter what life throws our way, that we are established in the love of God. And I bring this to you this morning because I've learned a lot of lessons in life, and one of the lessons I've learned is to keep myself focused on the correct thing. To have the correct focus in life means that you can get through tough times. When I went through paramedic school, I committed to a solid year of training. When I say a solid year, I mean you don't have semester breaks, you don't have holidays, you don't have anything. It's a solid year of training. You had to do clinical time, ride time, classroom time, all kinds of, of time was put into this school. And when I did that at 25 years old, it was a huge grind for me to get through it. And one of the things that, that I do when I have a ton of work to get through is to visualize the prize. When you look at a course calendar and you see all the reading you have to do, the papers you have to write, the tests you have to take, 500 hours of clinical or ride time as a paramedic you have to do, it's really tempting sometimes to want to drop out. And that's when I learned to really focus on the prize. And the prize for me wasn't so much being able to ride on an ambulance. The prize for me wasn't even so much to be able to be a paramedic and all that. Of course, that was part of it. I wasn't going to go to school and not work the job. The prize for me was this patch right here. This is my original license patch from the state of Wisconsin when I got my license. That's my license number, 53261, on the bottom. And it says paramedic. We can't even get these anymore. It's out of date. But this was my first paramedic patch ever. And I remember when I got that in the mail, and it came in the mail, and Tammy handed it to me. I ripped it open and saw the patch. It's going to sound really corny, but I literally went like this. I finally had it. And it was my focus to get through that period of my life. And I'm kind of using that again when I think about nursing school. When I'm facing all these deadlines, the assignments, exams, even unfair nursing instructors sometimes, I have my whole focus, when I feel overwhelmed, I just put that whole focus on December 11th, when we receive our nursing pins the day before our official graduation. It's a day you can finally call yourself a registered nurse. I don't even care about the graduation. I probably won't even go to graduation. Just doesn't make sense to pay $300 to walk across the stage. That's just me. 
I just want that pin. I want to be able to have the thing I've worked so hard for. And I bring all that to you this morning, um, and I want to use it as an example of what I want to talk about. The Bible tells us the future to prepare us. It tells us to, because it wants to help us focus on the important stuff. However, all these events that we've been talking about, the trials, the persecutions, the rise of Antichrist, and all that kind of stuff, it's not the important thing. It's not the important, important thing that we focus on. We shouldn't be overly concerned about which event in biblical prophecy comes first or how the Antichrist will come to power or how he's going to really institute the mark of the beast. Really, these are small events in history. I ask myself, in a billion, billion years, we're going to be alive. In heaven, hopefully, if you're a believer in Christ this morning. Will we even remember this stuff? Probably not. So what is the important thing? It's not that. It's Him. It's all about God. In John chapter 17, Jesus had just had the last supper with his disciples. They're now getting ready to walk over to the Mountain of Olives and the Garden of Gethsemane. And before they leave, Jesus is giving them his final instructions before he goes to the cross. He finishes with his instructions and now he begins to pray for his followers. And I want you to really focus this morning on the subject of that prayer. In John chapter 17, verse 1, after Jesus said this, he looked toward heaven and he prayed, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that your Son may glorify you. For you have granted him authority over all the people, that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. Now this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, for whom you have sent. And for emphasis, I'm reading verse 3 again. Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the one and only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Father God, I ask, Lord, that you help us to refocus our imaginations, refocus our minds, refocus our lives in the day-to-day on this one truth, that it's all about you, Lord. It's all about you. Father God, use your word this morning to, to reorient us into a victorious lifestyle that brings others to you and to your Son. Father, I ask this in your name. Amen. Now this scripture helps put our faith in a perspective that we can look forward to. Let me give you an example. When you plan a trip, do you first look at all the possible roadways in the United States or do you look at where the destination is first? You look to the destination, right? And then you plan what road is going to get you there. If your destination's to the west, you're not going to jump on I-94 east, right? You're going to go west. Focusing so much on what the Bible says about the future is like looking at all the roads and not focusing on the destination. 
Focusing on the destination is exactly how we should be living our lives here on earth. We get so focused on our lives. We get so focused on the news. We get so focused on everything that's happening in this world that we lose the vision to where we are heading. And it's because we concern ourselves more with the journey, we lose hope in the destination. And that's what causes us to lose focus so often in this world. Anyone who's been in the military will tell you that one of the things that gets you through those long deployments when you're overseas is that when you're in your downtime, you focus on who is waiting for you after the deployment. The guys who had muscle cars, the guys who had something physical to go back to that didn't involve a person, they're the ones that didn't do as well. But when you're focused, I got to get back to my wife. I got to get back to my husband. I got to get back to my children. I got to get back to them. It, it, it narrows things down and really helps you to get through that time. And that's what our life is. It isn't so much a journey to get to a place. It's a journey to get to a person. It's a journey toward a person who gave everything to make a way for us to be with him forever. When we get this into our spirits, it really helps to answer the tough questions that many of the people have about our faith. Questions like, why did Jesus come? Or what's this life all about? What's even Christianity all about? And we have this idea that we live in America, everybody should know what Christianity is about, but we are becoming, we not even becoming, we have become a post-Christian nation. People don't even understand the very basics of the faith anymore. To the last question, what's Christianity? Most people will say, well, it's about not going to hell. Jesus gave us a get-out-of-jail-free card. So we're going to get that get-out-of-jail-free card, and then we're just going to live our lives. And is that part of it? Yeah. But Jesus should be more than just a free ticket to salvation. The Christian life is more than just not sinning. The Christian life is more than just the hereafter, the afterlife. It's also about the here and now. How is it about the here and now? Let's break that down a little. There's three main things that these few verses of scriptures tell us that we just read. Number one, it says that Jesus gave us or came to give us eternal life. So this begs the question, why exactly did Jesus have to die on the cross? I had this question for years. I went through Lutheran confirmation. I went through all the, the Sunday schools. I went through everything in the church, and it never clicked to me exactly why Jesus went to the cross. I don't blame I don't blame the Lutheran church for that. It was, it was probably me ignoring it or, or trying to find a reason to sneak out of the classroom and get up to the kitchen and get more cookies. But it, was, it just really never clicked to me with all that stuff. The, the pat answer why Jesus died on the cross is about paying for our sins. We needed to have somebody take upon himself the, payment, the penalty for our sins. And so we say, why did we need our sins paid for? It was so we can have eternal life. And you say, well, what is eternal life? It's not just about getting to heaven and it, or not going to hell. 
Eternal life is not just a destination. We think that eternal life is heaven. It's not just heaven. It's actually a person. This scripture shows us that our, our eternal life is wrapped up in this person we call God. Our creator. The one who gave us life. And then gave us new life through Christ Jesus. He not only gave us life, but he wants us to live an abundant life in him. God's perfect will for us is to live in a voluntary love relationship with Him just based on who He is, how awesome He is, how loving He is, how merciful He is. You say, well, that sounds great, but why do we as humans keep messing it up? It's because in order to understand love, we needed to have something called the burden of free will. Many people have asked me about free will. People occasionally, even in the hospital, will ask me, you know, what, what, why did God give us the ability to choose? Wouldn't it have been just easier if he didn't do that? And it's probably the biggest question I go back and forth upon myself. Because every time I think I find an answer about this, a million more questions pop up. The question of free will can be asked in this way. Why did God put a tree of knowledge of good and evil in the garden and make it accessible to Adam and Eve? In 21st century terms, we might put it like this. Why would you leave a lock and loaded pistol on the floor with the safety off in front of a toddler and then point the gun out to a toddler and say, don't touch that? Well, what do you think is going to happen? Toddler is going to grab the gun. So why did God do this with the first humans. And various answers have come to me over the years. I've studied this both biblically, philosophically, logically, every way I could. And it always comes down to this statement, to test Adam and Eve. Well, why did he need to test them when he knew they were going to fail? Because if you leave it right there, it sounds like it's kind of capricious that God did this. It, it, it's just that's like, why did you set them up for failure? And if we were to think that and stop there, you'd miss the beauty of what Jesus is trying to show us in this scripture. The principle he was trying to show us is that you can't have love without free will. You can't force someone to love you. You can't put a gun to a person's head and say, say I love you. It doesn't mean anything. Wives, as much as you might want to do it, you can't chain your husband to the couch and force him to love you. It has to be a choice of free will. Part of being human, part of our created nature, is dealing with this emotional force called love. And we mess this up all the time. Because love is not just an adjective describing a feeling, but it's a verb describing an action. The action of love is proof that the description of love is real. And that's why that tree was planted in the garden. You remember upon Adam's creation, God's instructions to Adam not to eat of that tree included that consequence. If you eat from the knowledge or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, on that day you will die. In other words, God was saying, I am God. I created you. 
and I gave you life and I love you. But this is your choice. You can either love me and trust me that this tree is very bad for you, or you can take from it, but then you're going to die. Obviously, since we're sitting here today, we know the choice they made. You see, humanity at that point only knew love as a feeling. They didn't know love as the action. That launched the plan of salvation, culminating with the most extraordinary and ultimate expression of love ever witnessed from the beginning until now, the death of the God-man on the cross to pay for the sin of his own creation. The whole purpose of Jesus' arrival and the whole purpose of the resurrection was to demonstrate love as a verb so that the adjective makes sense now to us. Eternal life is not just truly expressed as the joys of wonder of heaven, but the joy and wonder of being with a person called God forever. That's why we need to correct some of our thinking here. Some of us have heard over the years that Jesus came so we could have a better life here. If you watch a lot of television evangelists, they may tell you things like this. Come to Jesus. He wants you healthy. He wants you wealthy. He wants you to live a blessed life. If you look at it from a marketing standpoint, that's a great message. You could buy entire football stadiums and preach that message, and people will come. You can have a mansion and expensive cars and a private jet if you want to preach that message. But it would t miss telling people the most crucial message of the gospel. Your focus isn't so much to be on this life here. It is to be on the life to come, and not only the life to come, but most importantly, the person we are journeying towards. God is the prize, not just the place He lives in. It's not this life, or it's not the life as much as the person that we get to spend eternity with. Because if you think the other way, if you think that God is all about making this life good for you, you get stuck in a performance-based religion. Let me give you an example. Have you ever heard or had something bad come into your life and you think to yourself, God, are you kidding me? Come on, I've been good. I went to church six weeks in a row. And now this happens to me? As most of you know, a little over a month ago, I, got, I hit a deer on the way to work. One jumped out, managed to swerve around him on the interstate, and then three more jumped out in front of, in fr after him, and there was nowhere to go. If I went to the left, I was going off the bridge. If I went to the right, I was going to go off the bridge, crash at about 70 miles an hour into the Black River. I had no choice but to hit the deer. So I hit one, pulled over, surveyed the damage, determined it was drivable, drove up to Quick Trip in Black River Falls, called the wrecker, and I had two responses there. I could have said, seriously, Lord? Really? Come on! I'm a bivocational pastor. I can't possibly do any more for you right now. Come on, I'm doing my best. I'm trying, and you let this happen to me? I mean, come on, aren't you supposed to be blessing me? 
You see, if I had made that statement, that's assuming that God somehow owes me something. And if that is the case, is God really God in my mind? I'm only looking at Him like a genie in a lamp, like a pagan deity that if you stroke Him the right way, He gets to give you something. And that's a problem with this idea that is being propagated in our culture today. That if you give your life to Jesus and all of a sudden, in this existence, everything turns smooth and fine. But that's not why Jesus came. Jesus came so that we can have real life. Life and life eternal in His Father. That is to be our focus on Almighty God Himself. The correct response to to hitting that deer was one of gratitude. And that's honestly, as I stand here, was my, was my, um, my heart toward it. I said, God, thank you for preserving my life. I could have just as easily gone into the river. I could have just as easily rolled my car. I could have just easily been killed in doing this. Somebody could have came behind me and hit me. A thousand different things could have happened. I just asked for grace and confidence and blessing as I dealt with insurance companies and repair shops and asked them that I'd represent him well in the coming days as I had to search for a new vehicle. This is why we need to keep this in our mind, that eternal life is not just a destination we try to get to. Eternal life is wrapped up in a person and not just the place. And that brings us to point number two. Eternal life is, as Jesus defines what we read, in two words. It's in knowing God. And this is massive if you think about it. Jesus taught us that eternal life is not just the destination. It's about a relationship. One of the wonders of heaven is going to be getting to know God for all eternity. Think about that for a moment. A being that is all-powerful, all-present, and all-knowing. We get to know Him more and more throughout eternity. Think of the, the cherubim and the seraphim that fly around the throne of God and cry out, Holy! 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 I don't think God programmed them to say that. I think they keep crying holy, holy, holy because they see another facet of that one attribute with God and can't help but cry out holy. They've been doing that for eternity. And they haven't even gotten through His complete level of holiness yet. Imagine the glory we will have getting to know Him for all eternity. In the Scripture we read, Jesus said, Now this is eternal life, that they know You, the one and only true God in Jesus Christ, whom You have sent. When He says that eternal life is knowing God, He's not talking about knowledge about, He's talking about knowledge of. And that's a massive difference. Believing things about God and actually trusting and knowing God. Because trusting in God is a relational exchange. It's not just that you believe the right things about God, although that's important. But if you believe just the right things about God, all you have is knowledge. 
I may be able to study your life and know everything that has happened to you and never meet you. Do I have really any good knowledge? Does that knowledge do me any good? No, I want to have relationship. And if we get to know God, if we trust in Him, that is what is transformable in our lives. When Jesus said that He came, died on the cross, rose again, His whole deal, His whole mission in life was about you having this eternal life in knowing God. He came to offer you a relationship. Not just here and after in heaven, but in the here and now. And the purpose of life is to know and walk with God. To know Him more and more each and every day. You see this in the heroes of the Bible. What their great, the greatest thing about their lives, what the Bible teaches. The greatest thing for David was not that he beat Goliath. It wasn't all the battles that he won or the fame he received. It wasn't even about becoming king of Israel. The greatest thing for David is that he knew God. The Bible says he knew God so much that he was a man after God's own heart. The greatest thing for Moses is that he knew God. It said that he was the friend of God. Remember, Moses led six million people out of Egypt. He didn't consider that the greatest thing. He didn't consider the greatest thing in his life the miracle when the Red Sea parted. It wasn't even the receiving of the law and writing the first five books of the Bible. It wasn't any of that. It was that he was known as a friend of God. Relationship. The greatest thing for Simon Peter wasn't being called a disciple. It wasn't even hearing firsthand the teachings of the Son of God. How incredible that must have been. It wasn't seeing the miracles that were performed. It wasn't even being called the rock of the church or when he walked out on the water. For Simon Peter, is that it was his best friend was God through his faith in Jesus Christ. When I grew up in the church, the whole thing was about the afterlife. We were to look to heaven. But that's not actually what the Bible teaches us. It includes that. But Jesus taught us that the reason you're breathing right now, the reason that God knit you together in your mother's womb was so that you can know God, have a relationship with God, and to walk with God. You see, when I was growing up, we talked about heaven. We talked about streets of gold. We talked about mansions. We talked about how great heaven was supposed to be. I mean, how... How, how bad can it be if you're getting a mansion and, and the streets are made of gold? Doesn't that sound wonderful? I mean, if they make the streets out of gold, what are your faucets made out of? We think gold-covered faucets is, is something pretty rich here. But when the Bible talks about that, it's not saying that heaven is heaven because of all the shiny stuff. Do you know why I think the Holy Spirit put in the Bible that the streets of heaven are made of gold? Gold was the most valuable thing at the time that it was written. It was to show us that in heaven, gold is irrelevant. It, it, it's nothing. It's, it's, just, it's no more valuable in heaven than the sand and the dirt that exists here on the church lot. What makes heaven heaven is that God is manifest there in His presence. 
And we will know Him completely and we will fellowship with Him completely. Heaven is heaven because it's all about Him. For some, we're doing what's right. We're living a good life. And really what we're after, what we're hoping for, is what God will give us when we see Him face to face. We serve sometimes from the wrong ideal that we want reward when we see Him. It could be that we're trusting in some outcome. And we're trusting in blessings instead of trusting in Him, the one who actually blesses and wanting to see Him. As I close here, I want to make this one point. When we get saved, when we come to Jesus Christ, that is the start of your eternal life. We think eternal life is in heaven. No, it began at that moment. That's why you're called born again. And that eternal life is all about God. It's not just about getting His stuff in rewards. It's about getting Him. It's about the restoration of a relationship that was destroyed in Eden, but won back for us by Jesus Christ. If you are, and I are going to be established and useful in the Christian faith, we have to start right here in wanting the relationship and knowing God. It's a cornerstone of the whole thing. That I have my faith in Jesus. I have eternal life. And what is that? A relationship with God that does not end. You see, that is why Christianity is not a religion. People say, I'm religious. People at work, people in the community, they said, oh, you're just too religious. I say, God forbid. I don't ever want to be known as religious. I mean, I understand what they mean. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is all about God reaching down to man in love and mercy so that He can pull us up to a relationship with Himself. And that is what our faith is all about, a relationship with the God who made us. Over the next few weeks, we're going to be talking about this more. If you're going to have a relationship with somebody, you have to learn to talk to them and learn to listen to them. Next week we're going to talk about how to hear from God and about how to communicate with God and how we're going to grow with God. And I'm going to close us in prayer.